I guess the title of my message this morning is uh, From a Sinner to a Saint. Y'all ready to dig into it? Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, as we begin this new book, um, help us to mine it, to, to find the treasures, and, and let these words that we study challenge and change our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you a little background. First thing we have is the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth is still in existence today. The nation of Greece can be divided up into two parts. You have the northern section, and then you have the, uh, the southern section, the peninsula. In between these two sections, you have this little isthmus of land. This bottom left-hand corner to the right is mainland Greece, and this is the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And you have this, they call that piece an isthmus. And the isthmus is a small strip of land that connects two main bodies of land, but it's also got two bodies of water on both sides. And that, the bottom right-hand corner is the Corinth Canal, which you can see it in the bottom left-hand corner. That canal was not there. That canal has only been there about 100 years. But before that, and during the first century, sailors in the Adriatic Sea, instead of going around the Peloponnesian Peninsula to go to the other side, which was about a 250-mile journey, they would pull into Corinth. Back then, boats weren't as big as they are today. And they would put their boat on wheels. And they would wheel them. They would push them. They'd have, they'd have crews that would push the, um, the boats from one side to the other. And it would save a lot of time. It would save a lot of money. And so Corinth was a place that everybody going from the south to the north had to always go through. And at the same time, it was a place where the boats would, would cross over. And today you have the Corinth Canal, which is professional. And that top picture, of course, is a picture of, of Corinth today. The city was famous for the Isthmus Games. These were, uh, these were a festival of athletic and musical competitions. They were named after um, the sea god Poseidon. They had chariot races. They had horse races. They had boxing. Uh, they had torch relay races. The, um, the Olympics. Be did you know the Olympics began at the same time as Isaiah? How, how, how pretty cool is that? If you look up the history of the Olympics, they started around 700 B.C. If you look up a timeline of Scripture, Isaiah. So at the same time, I just thought it was pretty cool as I was studying this week. At the same time that Isaiah is prophesying to Israel, the Olympic Games are beginning 700 B.C. in a place called, of all places, Olympia. <laughs> Olympia, Greece. And the Isthmus Games were um, a spinoff of the Olympics. They were like the minor league. They were like the minor league where they would train in the off years at the Isthmus Games. The Apostle Paul, no doubt as he went to Corinth, uh, came in contact with these Isthmus Games, came in contact 
with these uh, games that they had. As I said, one of them was the torch relay race. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 24 and 25. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, that they do it to receive a perishable reef, but as but they, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. The Christian life is a marathon. And Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth in language that they were familiar with. They were familiar with the Isthmus games. They were familiar with the competitions. And now he's telling them to run the race. I tell you this morning, run the race of the Christian life. Run the marathon. And, and according to verses 24 through 25, it says, uh, run in such a way to win. In other words, let nothing, let nothing stand in your way. That's our focus in, in our Christian walk, is let nothing stand in the way. Run to win in your devotion to Jesus Christ and following him and getting in to his word. The verse also up there says, if you look closely, it says we're to exercise self-control. We're to exercise self-control. We need to prepare our hearts, our minds, our bodies to live the Christian life. Anybody who says that living the Christian life is easy, they haven't arrived. Because there are difficult times as we live the Christian life, whether it's opposition from the world, whether it's the desires of our flesh, it's not an always thing. But we got to be like the athlete, disciplined, focused. I got a lot of veterans in here. One of the first things they teach you when you get the basic training is you got to be disciplined. You got to be focused. You got to have the eye of the tiger. You got to you got to be in it to win it. And that's what we have to do as Christians is put our focus, put the crosshairs on serving Jesus Christ and let nothing else get in the way. That's what will make us effective and powerful. We have to be disciplined and focused. So the, the city is Corinth. They were famous for the Isthmian games. How about these believers? This is very interesting. Who are these believers that Paul is writing to? What do we know about them? Well, let me tell you this. They were not high and holy saints. If you go back to Acts chapter 18, Paul travels from Athens to Corinth. The first thing he does when he gets to Corinth, it says he goes into the synagogues on a weekly basis. And he tries to reason with the Jews, convincing them that Jesus is the Christ. So there were Jews, according to Acts chapter 18, there were Jews that Paul even baptized and became a part of the church but then there was also a large contingent of people who came out of sexual immorality. There were people in the Corinthian church, ready for this, that came out of the transgender lifestyle. They came out of the, a life of homosexuality. They came out of a life of all kinds of immorality. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. But there were people with jacked up lives that were um, drunkards, swindlers, people with all kind of messed up lives, living that were deceived 
by the lies of sexual immorality. Bring up 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through I'll show it to you. Read for it yourself as I read it, read it along. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's my point. Here's my point in this teaching right here. The very next words. What's the next five words? Such were some of you. That, my friend, is the power of the gospel. Fornicators, sexual immorality, idolaters, people who place things above the Lord, adulterers, people who have sex outside of marriage or in their mind, in their heart. Effeminate. The word effeminate means, the, the, the word effeminate means, if you look it up, it's a biological male living as a female. Nor, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. Revilers are people who, who curse and are mean and have hard words towards people. They just have a, a dark heart. Nor swindlers, people that cheat for money, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. And the point I bring this verse out is, this shows the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to take people out of this lifestyle and bring them into a new life. That's the power, that's the gospel that we have and that, that we offer to people. This message that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave to give them new life. Give me one second here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Pastor David was in eight of them before I came to Christ. I think there's 11. There's 11 categories up there. When Pastor David came to Christ in 1992, you could, you could hang eight of those on me. And he transformed me. And he changed me. You know, um, another thing this points to, I'm, I'm going to call it like I see it. You, in our culture today, the, the thing is, the famous, the famous quote for today is, I was born this way. This is the way. I was born this way. That's what people want to say. I was, I was born this way. When in all actuality, biblically, you're right. You're right. You were born this way. We were all born this way. We were born into sin. And we need to lovingly, kindly, non-judgmentally explain to these people in love you're right we were all born this way we were all born into sin without the restraining influence of my wife and the Holy Spirit Pastor David gravitates towards sin and so do you so do you but the point I'm driving home here is we're looking at the people of Corinth these are the saints. These are the saints. Okay? If you read it in context, you put it all together, these are the saints. This was the life that they came out of. What an amazing God. What an amazing gospel that he can do that. Oh, man.
Um, yeah, eight of those were me. You, you can count your own. Oh, I can't leave this out there. I can't leave. This is, this is so important. Let's continue. Look up at the screen, verse 11. Look at what God does when one of these people, when I, when you, came to Christ. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. When you encounter the risen Lord, when you come face to face with Jesus Christ in true humility and faith, first thing he'll do is he'll wash you. You know what that word washing means? It means he'll make you clean. He'll make you clean. There'll be no guilt. Second thing, becoming a saint we're talking about, is, uh, it says it there, it says you are sanctified. That word sanctified means to be set apart. He'll set you apart for his use. And, it's, and it says, and you were justified. And you were justified. Righteousness was credited to your account. And let me just say this from my personal experience of when I came to Christ. When I came to Christ in 92, not everything broke, fell off. Just going to call it like I see it. Some of the some of the bondages that held onto me. Some of them, when I got saved that spring of '92, man, they just they just God just broke them off. But there were some other things that were deeply rooted in my heart that took months, that took years to break free from. It took going to Bible studies and going to discipleship. And, and being held accountable by my brothers and sisters in Christ, it took time, okay? And that is what grace is for. Grace is not a license to continue in sin. Grace is, that, is, is God's presence taking you through the trial, taking you th through the struggle to a place of victory. Amen? Amen. So we see who... who so now... In your mind, as we go through this book, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. According to Acts chapter 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have two groups of people. We have the religious Jews who come out of Judaism um, who are won over to Christ, and, and then you have uh, people from the city of Corinth. Back then, um, there was a phrase that was popular in, in the ancient world. It was called Corinthianize. And people... The, the, the city of Corinth was a party town. It's where people went to let it all hang out, to, to, to go wild. It was, uh, Corinthianizing, it means to uh, be immoral and, and, and just live ever how you want to. But these are the saints. All right, so y'all ready to get into it? All right, let's do it. First one, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes, our brother. The very first verse we, have, we see the power of the gospel. It says there, um, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Sothenes, our brothers. Sothenes, Paul calls a brother. He was not always a brother. He was an enemy. If you go back to Acts chapter 18, Sothenes was a leader at the synagogue. Okay? Paul comes from Athens to Corinth. Paul's going to the, uh, the synagogues, uh, trying to convince the Jews to turn to Christ. And Sothenes and his band of believers in his synagogue, they seize Paul and they take him to who? Galileo. And said, 
you need to prosecute this man. He's telling people to break our law. Galileo, Galileo, it's not Galileo. I have to say it a different way because people start thinking Galileo. But the, the, um, the governor at the time, Galileo, says, I will have no part of this. This is your law. You take it. You go do whatever you want. I will not take this. And because he couldn't get him, he couldn't get uh, G- Galileo to prosecute Paul, Sothenes takes a butt weapon from either the Greeks or the Jews. We're not sure about one or two. But he takes a butt weapon and gets beat up. And we don't, we're, not, we're not told of his conversion, but here we are three years later, and Paul is saying, Sothenes, my, our, our brother. This is a testimony of the power of the gospel, even over religious people. He was not always a brother. He was an enemy, but now he's a, he's a bonded brother of the apostle Paul. Verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've been around church any amount of time, you've probably learned about justification, sanctification, and glorification. They say those are the three stages of the Christian life. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is when you come to Christ, you receive him as your Lord and Savior, he justifies you. He credits righteousness to your account. Phase two, when you leave justification, you enter into sanctification. Sanctification is being set apart. It's, it's growing. That's where you're at right now. You are growing in your relationship with God. You're growing in your Christian faith. You are taking part in sanctification. And then ultimately, there'll be glorification when you come face to face with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one day in heaven. But notice what he says here. To those who have, Paul said, if you're, if, you're, if you're reading my definition, which is what sanctification means, but listen to what he says, it's past tense. To those who have been sanctified. What's up with that, Pastor David? There's two things going on here. There's, there's two positions on sanctification, and both of them are biblical. There's first, there's positional, positional sanctification. That means in Christ, positionally, Troy has been sanctified. He has been set apart for Christ. He's been set apart by the Lord already. The work was done at Calvary. But relationally, or I like to say ongoing sanctification, is this. Troy is growing in his faith. He's growing and being changed and being transformed. When you come to Christ, if you come to Christ and and, and all of a sudden you just have it all together, then you're way ahead of a, a lot of us. But the process of sanctification is so that you can grow. You can grow in your walk. I guarantee you all these believers that he's talking to, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and we're going to see in the rest of this book of the Bible, they had issues. They had things going on in their life. And they were beginning to walk through sanctification, where through discipleship, through Bible study, through prayer, things were being split away. So it says those who have been sanctified, positionally you have been sanctified. It's a done deal at Calvary. But you're continuing ongoing in your relationship with Christ. If you're in Christ, you have been positionally sanctified. With that, there's a call for believers to live differently than the world. We're called to live what we believe. We're called to be growing in our faith, 
to be growing in our word, in the word, to be growing in our relationship with Christ. That's what, that's what this big theological word that people don't want to talk about means. It just simply means that Madison, as she reads her Bible and she spends time in prayer, she's growing. She's taking the next step up in her Christian faith. And God calls all of us to be there. Amen? Let's continue on verse 2. He says, um, those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints, by calling with a few people in a few places who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Is that what it says? No, it didn't say that. It says saints by calling with, here's, okay, saints by calling, he's talking about saints with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The office of saint is not reserved for a select few, but it is reserved for everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. So what do you think about that, St. Troy? St. <laughs> Greg, it's great to see you this morning. And St. Debbie. Uh, what do you think about that? We're saints. I don't, I, don't like that name. I don't like that title either, but we are, though. We're saints. We're saints. Now, we start talking about being a saint. We start talking about sanctification. The first thing, the first struggle that comes up in the mind of a believer is this. How do you wrestle with being a saint in your struggle with sin? Okay? I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I said, if there was anybody here that's, that's conquered it, and they've got it all together, and I said, lift up your hand, I doubt anybody would raise their hand because we all have issues. We all have skeletons in our closet. We all have things that we need to deal with. How do you reconcile that? I'm a saint before God. I'm a believer. I'm a saint. But I got this stuff in my closet that I'm dealing with. You know, I'm struggling with looking at pornographic images. You know, I'm wrestling with, with, with the demons of my past. How, how, how do I fight that? There's this struggle. Pastor David, you're saying I'm a saint. But you don't know what I'm wrestling with. You don't know what I'm going through. Turn over, to, turn over two chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I mean, have, have you ever woke up in the morning and went in the bathroom and looked at the mirror and said, oh my, what have I done over what may have happened the day before? It's like, ah, oh. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verses 3 through 1. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, Paul's talking to these believers, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh. As to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, but you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Here, look at this, verse 3. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Now, the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. He's writing this letter to the Corinth. The Holy Spirit has inspired him to write it to them and to us. But he knew their condition 
that they were in when he wrote chapter 1. Okay? So he's calling them saints, but he's also saying you're of the flesh. Flip over two chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. These people he's talking to, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. I want you to see it for yourself in your Bible. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist, even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Now, when I said the church was jacked up, do you know why I said the church is jacked up? Paul is calling them out. When we neglect getting into God's presence, when we neglect getting into God's word, when we neglect getting into prayer, we have this thing inside of us, the flesh, that will gravitate towards the things of the flesh. And before you look at this and your jaw drops and you'd be like, what? Wait till we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and we study this. You and I have the same capability to do the same thing. Okay? We all have the capability in our flesh. But when we neglect his presence, when we neglect the word, when we neglect prayer, the flesh will, will take over in our minds and our hearts. The next one should be up on the screen. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen says, uh, Paul says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. It was getting so bad in Corinth, things were deteriorating. They were wrecking their life, because that's what sin does. It wrecks your life, and they were deteriorating. And that's why, as we go through this letter of correction from Paul, I love it how he corrects them, but he does it in a spirit of grace. He opens the book of Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, with grace, you are called, you are sanctified, and he closes the book with grace. But in the middle, he's addressing he, he, he's addressing their issues. And he, he, he does this chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter to the point in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Paul says this to them. He says, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So do you see it? He, he's he's, he's t challenging them to take the next step to leave the past behind, that life that you, that you was living in Corinth, that you was being Corinthianized, leave it behind. Let it go. Repent. Bring it to a throne of grace and move forward in your walk with Christ. So my question I began in the very beginning was, how do you reconcile being a saint with this ongoing struggle? I believe it's Paul's favorite word in the New Testament, one of two favorite words. Um, grace and Jesus. If you look at these verses that we're going through, uh, verses 1 through 9, each verse has a common name in it. Every single verse mentions Jesus Christ, except for verse 5, and in verse 5, it's referred to in him, but it's either Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, or in verse 5, in him. He points the people to Jesus, and then he talks about his favorite subject. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, uh, grace to you. He's preparing their hearts. He's giving them words of encouragement. Hey, church at Corinth, I'm here for your good. 
I'm here as the apostle to correct you, but I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to uh, encourage you first. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you, for it is, there it is again, for the great, I think, I love this statement. If you, if you see everything that's going on in the book, in, in the Corinthian church, if you see everything that's going on in the book, look at verse 4 with all those verses we just read in mind. Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Did he bash him over the head? Did he lambast him? He says, I give thanks for you. I give thanks that you've come to Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to take the next step. I, I think my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. They started it. They received Christ. They were walking in him. And now they just needed some encouragement. They needed some encouragement, some correction, um, a loving rebuke, and a, a nice boot to get them going in the right direction. Um, here's the deal, guys. If you have Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, you are under grace. Grace is, is God's, we all know grace is God's unmerited favor. We, we, we always say that. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. But I want to take it a step further. I want to describe God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's dynamic expression in your life. It is him operating in your life. His salvation, his forgiveness, his kindness, and his favor. It's him shining down upon you and blessing you and, and, and showing you goodness and mercy and forgiveness. It's his unmerited favor. Why? Why do you get it? Because of Christ's death. Because he loves you and he made a way for you to be forgiven. Grace, and make this crystal clear, I want to make sure we, I don't want anybody going away saying, Pastor David said this or Pastor David said that, but grace is not a license to continue in sin. I'm going to repeat that. Grace is not a license to continue in sin. Grace is this. Grace is, is when God holds you and takes you through the battle. He takes you through the struggle of sin, and he holds your hand and he takes you to that place of victory. Sometimes that's overnight for people. Sometimes it's weeks. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes it's longer. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows we have struggles. He knows we go through difficult times. But we're going that way. At least we're, we're going that way. We're struggling. We're falling. We're getting back up. And we're going that way. And we're moving towards that place of victory we don't say, oh, this is my life, this is my lifestyle, and I'm going to live it. Grace will take you through those difficult and challenging times, but he's taking you to a place of victory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Scripture is very clear. Grace is not a license to sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Can I just live any old way I want to? You know, I'm under grace. I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven. 
should be up on the screen. Verse 2, may it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Grace in the Holy Spirit gives you the power to say no to sin. It gives you the power to say no to sin, and it brings a victory. It brings healing, and it brings transformation. I had some bondages that lasted 10 plus years. Things I wrestled with, things I struggled with. And I was, but I kept going forward. I kept pressing on. I kept moving forward. And throughout that time frame in my life, different things would come up, different struggles, different battles. Bam, where'd that thought come from? And you start entertaining thoughts. And sin starts dragging you away. But I was always, I kept, I would fall, I would stand up, I'd dust off, I I would dust myself off, repent, and keep moving forward. That is grace. Grace will take you to victory and give you a blessed life. Amen? Amen. Let's continue. Verse 5 in this opening section of Corinthians. He said, uh, that in everything... You were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge. Before a person comes to Christ, they are poor spiritually. They are bankrupt. They are, they are empty. That's, that's how we are before we come to Christ. But when you come to Christ and you receive him as your Lord and Savior and you live your life for him, you have everything you need everything you need it says you are enriched in him in all speech in all knowledge everything you need can be found in his word everything you need everything that's essential for life can be found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ not religion not a creed not checking the block and just going to church every Sunday, but loving him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and laying it before him. It makes life so much better. It makes life so much better when we serve him. He enriches us with everything we need. Man's greatest need is not money, it's not wealth, it's not fame. Those things are temporal. They come And they go. Man's greatest need is God's power, God's grace, God's Holy Spirit, and God's word. This is what we need. If you are stranded on a deserted island, you know, the first thing I think you would need is the Bible, your spiritual food. And second thing you would need is, is, is a lot of bananas or a lot of food to get you through. But you need spiritual food and you need real food. And the spiritual food and everything we have, everything we need to be enriched in Jesus can be found in his word. Young people, if you follow Christ, you live for him, and you, and you do the things he says in his word, he will be everything you need. And, and you will not, you, you can go out in life, you got two choices. You can do it God's way, or you can do it your way. You can do it God's way, and have peace and joy if you do it God's way, 
or you can do it your way and learn from what I call the school of hard knocks. The school of hard knocks. Let's do it God's way. Let's do it his way. Verse 6. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking any gift, awaiting eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I said this a while ago, what I love about this, um, about this portion of Scripture right here is, first off, you got to know this, the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter of correction. It's a letter of correction that Paul is writing to Corinth. But what's he doing here? He's encouraging them. He's encouraging them to not lose heart. So when you see your friend, your loved one, someone struggling, doing things they shouldn't do, the last thing you want to do is come hit them upside the head and pound them in the ground and hammer them for what they're doing wrong. You want to give them some encouragement that you believe in them, that you're encouraging them, that you love them, that you support them. Y'all know what I'm talking about when you see your kids do things wrong. You let them have it. But at the same time, I love you so much. I'm not going to let you do this with your life without me encouraging you. So I love what Paul's doing here. He, he's, he's softening, the, he, he, is, um, he is softening their hearts. He is opening their hearts with grace and encouragement in preparation for verse 10, which we'll get to next Sunday, where he says, okay, there's division among you, and you got all kind of stuff, but he's preparing their hearts with grace, and you and I got to do the same thing. If we see your brother or sister in Christ um, doing something wrong, that we need to confront them. We, we need to approach them in a spirit of humility and in a spirit of encouragement. Man, Rick, I'm here for your good. <laughs> I'm here for your good. I'm not here to lambast you and knock you down. I'm here to encourage you, you know, and, and strengthen you. But by the way, you know, we need to talk about a few things too. Do it in the spirit of grace. It'll go a lot further than, than blasting them out of the water. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, we saw the whole book. We saw what they're going through. And he saw the issues that were going on in the church of what they were confronting. But he says, who will also confirm you? That word confirm means he will establish you. You got this going on. You know, there's some sexual immorality going on here. There's some uh, division in the body going on right here. There's some people over here denying the resurrection. Uh, there's all kind of stuff going on um, with the institution of marriage in chapter 7. But he says there, who, he's talking to, who will also confirm you to the end. He says there, blameless. That word blameless means without accusation in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always remember this. Always remember this in your relationship with God. Always remember this. Your relationship with God is based on grace. It's based on grace. He has shown his grace to you. You have responded in faith. And our righteousness, our righteousness is not in our works. Oh God, look at me. I'm holier than thou. No, I'm not. 
No, I'm not. If you knew the life I lived before 1992, right here in Irmo, going down Kennerly Road, you would be like, what? He did what? And he's a pastor? But yeah, prior to 1992, man, this, this was my Babylon. This is where I was living in the flesh. And he rescued me. He, he, he redeemed me. And my righteousness is not based on my keeping his law or, or obeying him. My righteousness is based on what Jesus did at Calvary. And grace calls us to repent, calls us to surrender, but at the same time, in our relationship with God, look at verse 8 again. Look at verse 8. He's talking to these believers. Many of them are worldly. They got issues. They got things going on. But he says, encourages them, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, you are right here, but that's where you're going. That's where you're going. That's where you're going. On the, on, on, on the day of judgment, when, we, when you stand before him, Christ will say, I paid the price. He enters heaven based on my righteousness. And that's just the way it is. Verse 9, as we close, I love this statement here. Um, just, I'm just looking at it. Uh, God, and we, we've heard this many times, and this is what I say to you this morning. If you're in the fight, if you're in the fight and you're struggling with your flesh, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the fight. Be thankful and rejoice that you're in the fight. That's the place we want to be. It's in the fight. It's, oh, I'm doing these things, but uh, I can't stand it. And I want to get away from it. It's that heart that's moving away. Welcome to the club. Be in the fight. Fight the good fight. Verse 9, let it speak for itself. For 2,000 years, people have been reading this. Verse 9, God is faithful through whom you are called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You look at Chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And he says, yeah, there's this going on, and there's this going on, and there's this going on in the church, and you're really jacked up, and you, you really don't have it all together, and you've really messed it up. But Paul, being a man of the Holy Spirit, being a man of faith as we should, was looking forward to the day that God will be faithful, and you will be brought through that fire. You will be th brought through that temptation. You, grace will give you victory in the fight, and you will come to a place one day and say, thank you, Lord. God is faithful. He's faithful to you. He's uh, faithful to his promises, and he will see you through. Amen? That's our opening to the book of 1 Corinthians. That's our opening. Um, it's going to get really good. It's going to get really good. And, and like I said, you know, Many people struggle um, with their sainthood 
versus their wrestling with the flesh. You know, um, but be encouraged. God is faithful. He will see you through. If you're in the fight, praise the Lord that you're in the fight. It's, it's one thing to be in the fight, and there's one thing to just live there and just accept it and embrace it. Be in the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for um, your truth that you brought to us this morning. Thank you for grace. Um, Lord, we love you and we praise you. And I pray, Lord, that there be any believer here this morning that's struggling with that. God, you say I'm a believer. I have your righteousness. But I'm struggling with things in the closet. I'm wrestling with the things of the flesh. I pray, God, that you will first show them your grace, show them your love, show them that you are their righteousness. And Lord, show them that grace will take them to a place of victory. Grace, the Holy Spirit, will take them to a place of victory. God, let that be real in our hearts this morning, that you are faithful. We, we are a sinner that's now a saint living in grace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people and encourage us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.